a $1.4 billion desalination plant that would have produced 50 million gallons of fresh water per day was not approved. And that's despite, again, 20 years of environmental assessment, uh, approvals throughout every other level of government, and even the support of Governor Newsom. The California Coastal Commission approved a water desalination plant recently, but rejected another one a few months ago. What that shows is that, again, the commission wields a tremendous amount of power uh, over the California coast and whether projects may or may not go forward. And oftentimes the justifications or criteria that the commission might use to make those decisions can be somewhat opaque. My guest today is Jeremy Talcott, attorney with Pacific Legal Foundation. Who is this Coastal Commission and what powers do they have? Continue watching for an insider's perspective. I'm Siamai Karami. Welcome to California Insider. Uh, thank you for having me. We want to talk to you about the Coastal Commission. Recently, the, there was a desalination plant that actually mm -hmm. got accepted in Monterey. Mm -hmm. But another one this year in Huntington Beach that got rejected by the Coastal Commission. And what is going on with this commission in California? Well, I think uh, the kind of differing results between those projects really shows just how much power the Coastal Commission wields here in California. Uh, two different projects that in, you know, took decades uh, to get to kind of fruition or to the point of seeking permit approval from the commission and two very different results. Um, the much larger project, uh, a $1.4 billion desalination plant that would have produced 50 uh, million gallons of fresh water per day was not approved. And that's despite, again, 20 years of environmental assessment, uh, approvals throughout every other level of government, and even the support of Governor Newsom. And nonetheless, the commission was able to completely stop that project. And a few months later, just uh, here in October, they did approve a project, but a much smaller project, one that uh, costs about $140 million and will only produce 5 million gallons of water a day. And I think a big, you know, what that shows is that, again, the commission wields a tremendous amount of power uh, over the California coast and whether projects may or may not go forward. And oftentimes the justifications or criteria that the commission might use to make those decisions can be somewhat opaque. Can you explain from what you got from these two projects, what was the reason for one getting approved and another one not getting approved? What was the logic? So the logic from the commission appeared to be um, you know, really focused on environmental impacts and the, uh, the determination by the commission that one project could be approved and could effectively mitigate uh, any environmental impacts and that the other couldn't. Now, one thing that I'll just note is even the project that was approved is not quite fully approved yet. It was approved with conditions. And those conditions include that the developers of the project resubmit uh, additional plans to the executive director of the commission, which the commission is still free to reject. So even though they technically have an approval at this point, it's still not yet clear that they will be able to move forward and actually begin development. Can you tell us more about the Coastal Commission? What is this commission about? So the Coastal Commission is an agency. Uh, it really has its genesis in the Coastal Zone Management Act of 1972, which was passed uh, 
you know, very environmentally focused to try and protect California coastline and preserve it. It is an amazing resource, obviously, everyone who lives in California. We have the best beaches here. We right? have fantastic beaches. Um, you know, so I'm sure some other states may press back on the idea that they're the best, but we do have a fantastic coastline here. I'm a little biased on this <laughs> one. <laughs> Fair enough. The economy is not doing well, and with the current government spending irresponsibly, the inflation could get worse. How will you protect your hard-earned savings? The answer is gold. Gold is the world's oldest, most proven form of currency. It's there for you when inflation soars and when other assets go sideways. And that's why Birch Gold is so thrilled to introduce a new product that reimagines gold as a currency, the gold back. This month, you'll get a free gold back for every $5,000 purchased. When you convert an existing IRA or 401k into a precious metal IRA with Birch Gold by December 22nd, Birch Gold will help you own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered account. Visit birchgold.com California to claim your free info kit on gold. Then talk to one of their precious metal specialists. Plus, with every purchase you make before December 22nd, you'll get a free gold back. This is a great gift just in time for Christmas. Once again, visit bearishgold.com slash California and protect your savings with gold today. Again, passed in 1972 to protect California coastlines, to preserve, um, you know, kind of the beautiful nature of our coast and to protect the use and enjoyment of that coastline by the public in California. And uh, that created kind of the predecessor agency. And in 1976, the California Coastal Act was passed and that uh, made that agency permanent, which is the California Coastal Commission. And how does this commission work? Who are in charge of it? Who are the people that are? So the commission uh, is constituted of 12 voting members. Um, those voting members are appointed. None of them are elected. Uh, they can be appointed by different means. Um, Four are appointed by the governor, four are appointed by the Senate Rules Committee, and four are appointed by the uh, Speaker of the Assembly. And of each of those four, two of them are members of the public, and two of them are elected officials. So usually you will see something like a, a city council member, a member of the Board of Supervisors, or a planner appointed uh, from the various regions of the coast. And there are six uh, main regions of the California coast that are represented. So in terms of your experience with this agency, so you've been suing them for property rights. That's people that have land or places on close to the ocean, right? Yeah, that's correct. You know, the, uh, again, in, in the coastal zone, the commission wields a tremendous amount of power and they have the ability to, uh, where permit approvals have been made by local governments, to take over appeal of that permit and then reach a different conclusion, essentially reject the permit. And uh, oftentimes that involves, you know, a very expansive interpretation of their own power and sometimes uh, decision-making that uh, seems to be not necessarily supported by the facts before them. So the fact that they wield so much power, what we often do is step in to try and push back against that sort of unfettered power by the commission. So for example, if a city wants to actually implement, uh, build a project on the ocean and they approve the project or, or even a developer wants to build a project and the city approves it, then then they have to go to the Coastal Commission and the Coastal Commission can reject it, right? Is that? Well, what's interesting is that the Coastal Act really 
sought to strike a balance between local control and state control. So once the Coastal Act was passed, local governments are actually encouraged to pass local coastal programs. And once they've passed a local coastal program, which gets certified by the Coastal Commission, a lot of control is supposed to go back into the hands of local government. And local governments then take over primary permitting authority. So if you want to build along the coastline in a region that has a certified local coastal program, you will go to the local government first. You will submit your plans to them, they'll review, they'll determine whether or not your project is consistent with that local coastal program, and then if so, they'll approve it. But for areas within, uh, especially very close to the coast, the commission retains appellate authority. And that means either uh, a local activist group, uh, a concerned individual within the area, or the commissioners themselves can step in and take an appeal of your permit approval and then reverse the decision making of the local government. And can you explain some examples for us of when you've seen this happening? Mm -hmm. Sure, so one of our clients, uh, for example, uh, a case that took place in the Carmel area uh, up in Monterey County, um, the uh, local government uh, approved their projects consistent with other projects that have been developed over the past 40 years in the area, which was a relatively modest single-family home that also contained a basement. Uh, some local activist groups appealed that decision, and their concern was that uh, maybe there were archaeological resources somewhere on the property that could be disturbed. And the Coastal Commission took that appeal, and despite the fact that the uh, applicants were able to show through five different surveys on each property that there were no, no, uh, no evidence whatsoever of archaeological resources, they even used ground-penetrating radar and uh, bore samples, no evidence of archaeological resources, the Coastal Commission nonetheless found there was an issue with their permit and reversed it, saying you need to resubmit your plans without a basement. So again, this effectively announced a new policy over this region uh, without going through any sort of legislative process. Instead, in the course of a single permit approval, the Coastal Commission effectively announced you may no longer submit any plans that include basements because they will not be approved. So they essentially have become part of the city's approval process. In a sense, right? Is that is that they're they're actually the higher authority than the cities? Is that that that's correct? In that way, they're almost acting as like a super zoning board that's sitting above these local governments. But more concerning is the fact that they're reinterpreting uh, long-standing ordinances and coming to a different conclusion than those which have been relied upon by people within the area for sometimes decades. And uh, there is a process to change these sort of land use ordinances, um, but that involves submitting new amendments and having them approved by uh, the Board of Supervisors or City Council and then submitted to the Commission for approval. When they're taking on these cases and announcing a new policy without going through that process, they're effectively acting as a, a kind of quasi-legislature uh, so they make the rules plans. in that example. Other people would not apply with the basement anymore, right? That's, that's correct. That's what they're saying. Uh, effectively, with the after our clients, uh, after our clients' permit was rejected, uh, the city 
effectively had to tell every new applicant, resubmit your plans without abasement because the commission has now signaled to us that those are no longer allowed. And again, that for the commission to step in and kind of change the rules midstream is not the way the Coastal Act was designed to work. And from what I've gathered, they can fine people significantly, right? They do penalize different people. Do you have examples of that? Yes, yeah. So the penalty power is something that's relatively new. Uh, for years, the only way that the commission could step in and penalize someone was to sub, you know, essentially bring a case in a superior court, bring facts and get an independent judge to sign off on a civil penalty. As of 2014, the commission gained a new power, and that's the power to directly fine. Uh, in 2014, what was added is the ability to fine for any violation of public access. So essentially, if the commission determines that someone interfered with the ability of the public to access the coast, then they could fine them up to $11,250 per day. Uh, so that's a tremendous wow. potential penalty power. Um, as of uh, 2022, uh, that, that power has now been expanded and they have the ability to fine $11,250 per day for any violation of the Coastal Act. And it's important to, to note that now that they no longer have to go before an independent judge, this is an, a power that they can essentially unilaterally impose. Have you seen them fine somebody? Yes, uh, the first example of the penalty power that took place. Uh, so the first time that the commission wielded this tremendous power, they fined a couple in Malibu uh, $4.185 million. Wow. And the supposed violation in that instance was a gate that had existed uh, over what was a, a public easement um, that was held by the Coastal Conservancy. So a public easement that had been granted to the state uh, in the early 80s by their, the predecessor owners. And easement is actually letting somebody get through, letting the state get through. Precisely, an easement, uh, if it were developed, would allow individuals to walk from the street down to the beach. Now, despite the fact that the state had held this easement for approximately 40 years, in that time, they had never taken any steps to develop it. And in fact, from the street level, uh, the gate was protecting people from falling six feet onto a concrete drain wow. pipe. Uh, so even uh, if that gate had been removed, there was no actual access that could have taken place. And in fact, after the commission imposed its four point, you know, nearly $4.2 million penalty on the Lentz, uh, the owners of the house, um, the Lentz agreed to remove the gate, but the, the commission actually asked them to wait a few months until they could make sure to put up a replacement gate. So to this day, a gate is still in place across this easement because the state has never undertaken the steps to actually develop access down to the beach. But again, with virtually no due process protections, with a very minimal uh, one-day hearing um, that constituted approximately 45 minutes, the commission was able to impose a crushing civil penalty on two landowners who uh, at, bus, at best had merely failed to remove a gate that they weren't certain needed to be removed and, and even if it were removed, were constituted a public hazard. Were they to remove it? Is that? So there was quite a bit of dispute between the, uh, the homeowners and the commission about whether or not that gate needed to be in place. The homeowners had, had offered alternative resolutions such as uh, instead providing an easement on the other side of the house where there were no, uh, no impediments 
um, to potentially creating that easement, but um, the commission rejected all of those offers. Um, and despite, again, what was good faith back and forth between the homeowners and the commission for um, some time trying to resolve those differences, ultimately the commission simply brought them before the commissioners and imposed this tremendous penalty. When there is a fine like that, when there is a hearing, um, what does this hearing look like? Well, you know, I, the important thing to note is that there's virtually none of the protections that an individual would get by right in a court of law. So uh, you have no opportunity to cross-examine witnesses. Uh, you have no ability to subpoena witnesses or information. Um, you have no ability to require uh, that people testify under oath. And in fact, the people who do testify might be free to engage in hearsay or pure speculation, things that, again, would not be considered evidence in any other court of law. And oftentimes there's no ability for the uh, the individual to respond to the testimony that is given. And, you know, for example, in the hearing by the, uh, that was undertaken against the Lentz, individuals did engage in pure speculation, even government officials. Uh, Joe Edmiston came before the commission and told them, if you remove this gate, I'll be walking people down to the beach tomorrow. Uh, which is, of course, something that was patently impossible because there were was no steps. You mentioned there's a drop, right? Yes, uh, there's a drop from six feet to the uh, drain pipe and then an additional 14 feet from the drain pipe to the beach. So patently impossible for individuals to actually be brought down. But before the commission, that type of simply factually incorrect evidence was allowed and the landowners had no ability to rebut that evidence whatsoever. And did they decide the penalty right then in that that meeting or was that same day the commission uh, imposed the penalty um, one other thing I, I think is worth noting is that when the commission imposes these penalties it goes into the violation remediation fund over which the commission uh, asserts quite a bit of control about how those funds are spent so the Com Coastal Commission has the ability to investigate a perceived violation of the Coastal Act bring the individual before the commission where the commission staff prosecutes that case and the commissioners decide that case and then the money that is recovered from the individual is put into a violation remediation fund over which although there is uh, it's required to be appropriated by the legislature ultimately the commission has quite a bit of say in how those funds might be spent um, including to the benefit of commission's desired projects uh, for example so essentially they can find people and decide how much they're going to find them and use the money themselves. That's correct. So oftentimes, uh, and even in the, in the case of the Lentz uh, uh, hearing and in other hearings, they talked quite a bit about how those funds might be used. If we uh, f f impose this large penalty, maybe that will help to then develop the access point that over the last 40 years we've never developed. So the commission sees this as a very large revenue generation uh, tool and something that can offset other perceived budget shortfalls. What about the people that are getting fined? Do they, what do they think of them? Because the commission is fining these people. Are they looking at them and saying, okay, they have the money to pay or how do they look at these people? Well, it's interesting that you, you know, bring that up because for, for some individuals that may be a factor on uh, whether or not, you know, say a fine is excessive. Um, but that's not necessarily something that the commission has to look into. That's something that then hopefully a court would review and determine whether or not those fines are, are excessive under the uh, 
under the U.S. Constitution. But really, for the commissioners, um, they have a fair amount of freedom to determine what criteria they will use. There are some factors that they look at, um, but they're kind of not limited to those factors and free to make determinations on how and, and what type of penalty they're going to impose. And I think in the case of the Lentz, it was clear the commission staff had recommended a penalty from, uh, I believe, 400,000 to one and a half million. Um, they had recommended to the commissioners nine, $950,000. But during the course of their deliberations, the commissioners uh, threw out figures as high as 8.4 million or six and a half wow. million, um, and ultimately decided to just go with the four point, roughly $4.2 million figure, which essentially could be considered arbitrary. And could actually bankrupt somebody. Absolutely. Um, so, so what happened to them? Did they actually, did they go to court after that and they were they able to lower it or was so it un unfortunately for the Lentz they did go to court in California courts that penalty was upheld uh, they appealed that through the California courts and even filed petition at the US Supreme Court but ultimately that was not a case that was taken up so for the Lentz uh, that's a penalty that that stayed in place and uh, uh, you know essentially the so far uh, even this that large of a penalty has been approved of by the California courts, and I, I think that should terrify any other individual. And the fence was still there after the penalty. Uh, yeah, the, so the, the original fence was removed, but a new one was put up and, and remains in place to this day because, again, the, the, the state has still not in any way developed the access point that might actually allow people to get down to the beach. So they just, they just actually find this person without really doing... That's correct. And uh, I, I think I, I, w I will just note that again, in, in, in 2022, in January uh, of 2022, this penalty power expanded. And now the commission wields it for any uh, violation of the Coastal Act. And it's again, $11,250 per day. But if you don't know it, what if you have something there, you have no idea? Yeah, and uh, unfortunately, knowledge is, is uh, not required. So even if you don't know uh, that you've committed a penalty, you can still be fined for it. Um, and those penalties can be for up to five years. So if you have an unpermitted structure on your property and the commission cites you and that property, uh, that violation existed for more than five years, you could potentially be facing a more than $20.5 million penalty. Wow. So the legislature has authorized the commission to impose uh, financially devastating penalties uh, with just the barest minimum of due process protections. Some people might argue that, uh, well, these guys are fining these people that violated some law and, and actually collecting the money and they're using it for the coast. So what is wrong with that? Well, I think, you know, if, if people have violated the law, obviously it, it is potentially fair to impose civil penalties on them. But I think the bigger question is what sort of safeguards should we put in place when we're allowing or authorizing an agency to impose those types of penalties? And here, where the potential deprivation runs to millions or even tens of millions of dollars, I think everyone should be terrified of handing over to an agency that type of power with virtually no safeguards that would otherwise be entitled to uh, anyone going before a judge for, say, a parking ticket. Who oversees this commission? Is, are they just on their own independently? 
I mean, in many ways, they really do operate largely free from oversight. Um, again, the, the commissioners are appointed, um, and uh, other than the administrative mandamus power of the courts to review their actions, um, there really is no mechanism to overturn a determination by the Coastal Commission. Again, the, the only place that a landowner or even a local government has to go is uh, to the courts. What do the cities think of the Coastal Commission? How do they look at what Coastal Commission does these days? Well, it can be a mixed bag. And some cities have certainly found themselves at odds with the Coastal Commission, uh, especially recently, because the commission has worked very hard to uh, impose its view of coastal management on local governments. And when local governments seek to amend or uh, uh, submit new plans for local coastal programs, new ordinances, oftentimes the Coastal Commission is essentially demanding that they include provisions that, um, for example, prohibit virtually all shoreline protection, therefore um, meaning that if you build a new house, uh, you have to agree that uh, if in future there's a particularly bad El Nino, the, cluff, the uh, bluff face starts to collapse, you will essentially just have to allow that house to collapse into the ocean and you waive mm. any right to protect that property. Um, so a lot of these, uh, these policies, which the commission calls managed retreat, which is essentially ceding private property to the ocean if uh, sea levels rise or bluffs start to collapse, ceding that private property to the ocean is, is a, a stated policy of the Coastal Commission and they're forcing local governments to go along, which uh, not all local governments agree, but they find it very difficult to push back. Now, was there a time, because this commission probably, this Coastal Commission has probably contributed to the beaches that we have, because we have really beautiful beaches here. Do you think there was a point or do you think there's a side of them that do a really good job in maintaining these beaches? Uh, I know you're in the litigation <laughs> side. You're kind of always <laughs> Well, I certainly them. don't want to speak too highly of the commission on anything. But uh, <laughs> no, I, I think that certainly, you know, there is aspects of preserving more untouched coastline that the commission likely has played a role. Um, but oftentimes that's come at the expense of private property. And I think... Um, you know, there, there are other ways to preserve untouched uh, natural resources that don't simply destroy the rights of private property owners. And if Californians want more uh, public lands along the coastline, and those lands are currently owned by private individuals, um, there's a very easy and constitutional way to obtain that land, which is through eminent domain, which allows you to take that property for the public use and pay the landowner reasonable, just compensation. And instead, what the, what the Coastal Commission has often done is obtained these untouched resources, but at the expense of a private landowner and who is not getting uh, the, the just compensation that they should be constitutionally entitled to. Now, Jeremy, do you have any other thoughts for our audience? I think the important thing for individuals to know is that uh, it's not either or when it comes to property rights and coastal preservation. You know, like I said, there's tons of opportunities for private landowners and local governments to work together and to ensure that our coastlines remain uh, beautiful and available for all the public. Uh, the only mechanism doesn't have to be an overbearing uh, group of unelected officials who are sitting to uh, over every single permit decision along the coastline and oftentimes acting in ways that appear arbitrary.
Jeremy Talcott, attorney at Pacific Legal Foundation. It was great to have you on California Insider. Thank you for having me. We want to ask you to sign up to our California Insider email list. You will receive exclusive updates on our upcoming documentary and get the latest inside stories on everything that's happening in California. Go to insiderca.com and sign up 